This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by IHS Markets Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personal engagements with experts. All right. Welcome back to Energy Sense, an IHS market podcast that discusses all things on the intersection of finance and energy. This is Hill Baden hosting today with two guests, experts on the solar market, Adjourney Zoko in Switzerland and Cormac Gilligan, who is back again uh, from Ireland. How are both of you? Very good, Hill. Nice to meet you. So, so and this, you know, just for our listeners, one, we are here to talk about the supply chain tightness within the solar market, but I think it's kind of useful context, just the supply chain tightness that we've been dealing with within this podcast, where this is maybe the fifth time that we've had an appointment to, to have this conversation and schedules have prevented it from, from happening several weeks pre- previously. So, so that there's a real kind of shared pain uh, across the uh, solar supply chain, even down to the conversation with experts like yourselves. So thank you both for, for making time for this. So I think everybody's kind of seeing the headlines on the, the post-COVID kind of demand ramp up and, and uh, businesses being um, ill-prepared, I suppose, to, to respond to that. And, you know, th- these are, you know, a- as big in energy as solar and other things. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the headline, but the, the little tapioca bubbles in bubble tea. I don't know if oh, you yeah. are, are either of you fans of bubble tea? Uh, not massively. It's, it's not big where I am, but I'm aware of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My son's a big fan. Okay. Well, apparently those, uh, I've never had a, a, a cup of bubble tea or, or a mug or whatever you, you do, but apparently those bubbles are rare supply and, and hipsters all over are kind of freaking out because they can't get their bubble tea. The, the other one that, that I've seen recently is uh, chicken because uh, all the chicken nuggets or the chicken, uh, the, the fried chicken sandwiches in the U.S. are kind of taking over burgers uh, and chicken chickens for uh, sandwiches are in short supply. And then just as recently as last week, actually, when we were supposed to talk last week, Chick-fil-A, which is kind of the leading chicken sandwich maker in the US, has limited its sauces to two per customer because there's apparently a shortage in barbecue sauce and sweet and sour and things. So it's really it's really kind of all over it and taking people by surprise. Who knew about people's uh, post-pandemic indulgences or something of that nature that they that they have a craving for uh, the new teas or um, extreme like hot chickens, yeah, or spicy chicken, yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, I don't know, it's, it's some of it's in a way comical, just the, the types of things that are going so banana. And I saw you know, and then we'll get solar, but I saw like uh, Patagonia makes these shorts that are called baggies. I don't own any, but, but I read an article in the paper about how they you can't get them anywhere and people are looking on eBay and then trying to flip them and things like that. But now all of a sudden I want a pair just because I can't get a pair. <laughs> so all the economies are reactivating uh, in the US and Europe and you know that's that's one sign and that's what is actually making things much worse in terms of of supply chain and, and freight. So um, well some of it, you know, it, with hindsight, it seems predictable that, that you know, when you go from zero to one or whatever we've gone from, 
you know, it, it's hard to prepare in, in advance for that because you can't just kind of turn on your supply chain uh, in, in the way that I guess we were forced to turn it off out of the lockdown. And, and what I find really interesting, and this is, you know, some of what led to this conversation, when we look at solar and, and you know, clean tech in general has been one of the hottest investment themes of 2020. Solar was kind of going to, you know, these companies were really going to kind of crazy, you know, I guess I can't say crazy, but these are going to very high multiples. And then as the earnings calls started to come out in uh, Q2, people seemed to be caught off guard um, that, that a lot of these companies were reporting supply chain tightness. And, and, you know, both of you guys were putting out reports, you know, well ahead of all this. You know, Cormac, are you surprised that others seem to be surprised by, by the supply chain tightness in solar? Um, not, not, I'm surprised, but I, I suppose it depends on everyone's lens or viewpoint in that, you know, Adirne and I are daily tracking this and, you know, it, it's challenging for us, as we said, even to arrange calls and, and because things are, are, there's so many questions being asked at the moment. And, and this is, this is not new in the solar industry. Um, you know, we kind of joked about it at the beginning of the call that three months in solar, it, it, the markets move very quickly. Um, even on a weekly basis now, people want, want information about pricing or about individual countries. But if, you know, if we zoom out and if we look at it from maybe a financial community point of view, you know, out of COVID, definitely, as we mentioned, clean tech was, was a winner and or the energy transition, certainly. And solar has been, even in our forecasting, we've been, you know, increasingly raising our forecasts for the, the amount of solar that's going to be installed um, last year, this year, and in the coming years. And, you know, part of it is we we wrestled with how are things going to actually perform, you know, even throughout the pandemic. And solar has performed extremely well and robustly. You know, you, you consider that in most countries, it's been uh, like an essential service. It's fallen under construction. So it's been able to um, exceed expectations last year. Um, so it's kind of following this very strong momentum. Mm-hmm. And if anything, its success has been a little bit, it's it's uh, posed its own problems for itself. Adjourney and I are, are very aware of them and we'll probably touch on them um, a little later at some of the different components or aspects, um, be they the metals, the raw materials, uh, freight. So some of these are outside of solar alone. But, you know, the, the industry is, it's, we kind of describe it as it's in its like its middle stage where it's out of its adolescence, mm-hmm. at this early stage of kind of high growth potential. And it's everyone knows who's actively in the industry of what's needed when it's needed. But the market is still growing so fast. And for example, you know, this year we're expecting about 181 gigawatts to be installed, like a 27% growth year on year. But that's not without its challenges. And I, and I think we'll touch, touch on these and maybe some of the next questions. Sure. Yeah. Maybe it donate just, you know, that, that 181 and some of these kind of growing pains that, that Cormac mentioned, that the report that you guys put out to clients. In March, I think was titled "Solar to Sail Through Turbulent Waters," um, and, and really all about the supply chain tightness. Um, much of this seems to be more than growing pains and, and pandemic-related that that are, in a sense, one-offs. Can, can you maybe help frame the, the the general kind of narrative of that paper and, and how it differs from, say, normal growing pains of a fast-growing industry? 
So uh, as Puma was the, you know, in 2020, uh, solar despite COVID-19 and other restrictions had a growth around 10%. This was uh, a bit unexpected just yes, because the industry was very heavily uh, heated in the first hit in the first quarter due to the concentration of manufacturing in China. Uh, but then demand started to grow very, very quickly in mm -hmm. after the summer, and this started to create some bottlenecks around uh, some materials such as polysilicon and solar and break glass. Uh, so um, costs started to increase, and uh, the expectation in the market was that this was maybe a short-lived phenomena, and it would get better uh, after the first quarter, after some adjustments in around uh, increased capacity. But the reality is not being the case. Uh, we have seen, um, we are seeing in April and May big uh, prices for some materials like spot prices for polysilicon. Solar, uh, solar uh, grade glass is, is getting a bit better, uh, but we are seeing uh, increases for copper, for steel. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, the, the reality is that production costs uh, for modular uh, manufacturers, especially. But also, this is impacting other components, as inverters and and, uh, and trackers, are much higher than anticipated. And uh, for this reason, uh, module prices and the prices for components are much higher than they were previously forecasted by the analysts or the developers when they were doing or running the financial models uh, for development in the second half. And this is what we are seeing at this moment that. The, the prices of the components are much higher than anticipated that this is impacting at returns of the potential projects. Um, so this is causing some delays around procurement, also because the situation is very volatile, prices mm -hmm. change all the time, there is limited visibility around what the price is going to be for steel, what the price is going to be for polysilicon. And in this situation was not uh, complicated enough, we have all the other issues, which is around fright. And this is something that is, of course, beyond solar, but solar is extremely uh, impacted because of the concentration of manufacturing in China, which, of course, uh, is the most impacted uh, route in terms of higher freight uh, costs due to the imbalance in trade. So with all this situation, we are seeing uh, freight costs three, four times higher than uh, last year, plus a higher uh, component cost, which is making uh, procurement teams, uh, uh, putting uh, procurement teams in very uh, challenging situations. So the freight concerns, does that advantage certain, you know, if China is manufacturing or if Asia is manufacturing a lot of this, does that advantage those areas that much closer to the manufacturing in terms of meeting the demand forecast and insulating any of the price? Or uh, is the price impact global? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, our assumption about this market is that not all regions are equally impacted uh, for the price, uh, for the pricing, and for the strike. I mean, some, re some regions of market are less price sensitive, and also, of course, some regions that are closer to the manufacturing hubs are less impacted by mm -hmm. by freight costs, or not only freight costs, but also lead times. Because the problem is not only that the costs are higher uh, than anticipated, is that you might need six weeks, eight weeks. For in order to get a container or get, get a vessel. So, uh, of course, uh, we are working around this light risk map 
for installations in 2021 that takes into account uh, factors as we just mentioned around being closer to the to the manufacturing hub or how much uh, price sensitive the market is or the segment to to the, the module cost or higher component cost. So where Cormac, if we're talking about you know prices, at some point that influences demand and and the last you know when, when I looked at it last that we were still holding on to that 181 gigawatt forecast through 2021 noting a lot of the risk on the things that Adernes talked about um you know, at, at what point does price start to impact that demand uh right about now <laughs> so, <laughs> um you know and Adernie and I are having these kind of conversations on a daily basis now not in in a very open manner, and it's as we're doing today. Uh, you know, no one has an exact crystal ball of how these all of the. It's so multifaceted that some of it is within the industry, some of it is outside the industry that all these economies are facing. But if we, you know, try and keep to the the focus of solar only, yes, we're in a higher price or higher capex environment because of everything attorneys mentioned. So racking has become more expensive, or the trackers because of higher steel costs. Inverters are being impacted somewhat because of semiconductor or copper availability, especially on the transformers. So the, the parts that uh, transfer the electricity to the grid, um, transmission and distribution equipment. The modules we've talked about, the polysilicon is one very big part. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem is, as we said, is that we have come out of a very strong 2020. There was also a lot of pipeline that we called a waterfall effect or an overflow effect in some countries that didn't get completed in 2020 that was supposed to get completed. So, for example, India was one of the markets that was actually one of the few markets that went down in in 2020 from a solar installation point of view. So we have, we have a big expectation prior to current circumstances that that was going to be a, a growth mm-hmm. market. So that's one example of a market at the moment. A, it's very price sensitive, uh, typically. A lot of utility scale is installed in, in India, and uh, so big solar farms. And then there's obviously issues around, even due to the pandemic, getting l- large labor crews brought to site. Some other markets, to just give a sense of what might be at risk is markets, as Sidney mentioned, like in Europe, where there's maybe a lot of tenders or auctions. These may be at risk when you have higher capex prices. Africa, Middle East, a little bit. Australia, a little bit. And in the Americas, particularly more in the Latin American markets, in utility scale, particularly like Brazil, Chile, Argentina, Mexico, for example, they could be somewhat hit. But overall, we don't expect too much demand destruction. So we don't expect these projects to be just killed off or anything like that, even if they're in the higher. But what we explain to people and what we have conversations with parts of the supply chain is it's on a project by project cases mm-hmm. that you have to do your full evaluation. And if there's flexibility, there may be this downside risk that maybe our 181 might become a little bit lower. And you're going to have this kind of overflow effect or this waterfall effect into 22, where the demand will be pushed a little later because it might allow a little bit of flexibility on pricing in if you push forward maybe a few quarters or a year. And as, if, if I'm correct, the, our forecast hitting that 181 was already anticipating some, some pretty aggressive 
Q4 uh, installations, right? And we haven't we haven't seen enough to unwind that Q4 here. It's it's May nineteenth. Yeah, not not exactly, but and it was also contingent, as Attorney said, upon a lot of that pipeline and a lot of that installations occurring was based on pricing that we had Q4 20 or at the very beginning of the year. And things have escalated or changed so quickly in the matter of weeks across all these components that it would be reasonably sure that there will be some push out to uh, 22. 22. Our installation installation outlook for 2021 was always assuming a very strong uh, second half, uh, especially a record-breaking fourth quarter. It is true that the first quarter has been, in general, slower than anticipated. Uh, One of the reasons is that uh, manufacturers have, in some cases, to uh, lower utilization rates, hoping in this manner to control a bit the high cost of the the high prices of the raw materials. So this has impacted deliveries. Um, What we're seeing at this moment is that if developers wait a long time in order to procure uh, because of the price situation, it might be the case that even if you want to procure and you want to install on time within 2021, you might not be able to do it. So that's why we are assuming increasingly more volume of projects on the utility scale to be postponed to 2022. So this is something that as, as the year advances, it is uh, a, bigger, a bigger risk for the, for the outlook. Are there any regional policy implications that that are going to impact buyers here in terms of having one solar project installed on makeup numbers December 30th rather than January 2nd? I mean, it is, and if so, are we seeing any movements from policymakers to extend any tax benefits or something else uh, to, to accommodate the supply chain bottlenecks? Um, we have, I mean, the only uh, big policy change that we have seen in the market that is not really uh, impacting that much 2021 is the extension of the ITC in the U.S. But uh, in our assumptions, you know, we consider that by the time of the announcement, which was late December, most of the 2021 projects were already under construction, so the impact would be uh, felt. Uh, later. Um, there are some projects, um, for instance, in China that need to be completed within uh, 2021. And also in other regions, in India, there is a, a lot, a big uh, pipeline that at this moment, with the current uh, uh, scheme, needs to be completed uh, in the next quarters. But uh, there is also a considerable uh, pipeline that uh, doesn't have a fixed construction of date. Then you have, of course, corporate PPAs and PPA contracts that were signed with a date. And mm-hmm. in those cases, we'll have to see what happens if they are uh, delayed or there is uh, any additional negotiation in case that uh, the price environment continues. So who, you know, and Cormac, maybe this is a good question for you, that in terms of the, the price impact here, who's losing? That, that is it the, the solar company that's having to eat the cost or the end user who's having to, to pay more? And if the end user, is there another end user who will gladly pay more if the first buyer turns it down? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. I think it's shared broadly. I don't think any one part of the supply chain or someone at the end of the process. I think everyone is sharing the, we would describe it as a temporary, albeit it could mm-hmm. be more than a quarter, 
this increase in capex costs. So because it's some of it is outside the control, and everyone is doing their best to see about if there's flexibility on timelines, if there is ways of prioritizing certain projects above others. I do think that there will come a moment, though, and journey and I talk about this, where there will be, you know, the supply chain, like a lot of industries, works on the principle that they need certain minimum amount of production and economies of scale. And this is kind of linking back to what we said at the beginning about at what stage in kind of its uh, life cycle or maturity level is solar. And it's now starting to reach considerable scale. Mm-hmm. So all of these manufacturers, based on the prices that they can offer, they have to assume certain production levels. If they're not producing at certain production levels because of higher cost inputs, well, it doesn't really work. The business case just doesn't work. They they have to stop it. And that's abrupt because they, you know, they did that a little bit. In some cases, there was there was fires in polysilicon last year in some of the plants, and it causes big shocks to the system. So it's in everyone's benefit for this to roll over and and try and move as quickly through this. But there is going to be periods, even throughout this year, we think, where there will be this um, price. There could be big price movements at different times, and the market as well. It also might cause the potential, and we we. We debate about this consolidation in the market. Will the bigger players get bigger? Yeah. And just to link to your latter part of your question, when we get to more on the commercial side, I think it will bring in some bigger players, i.e. oil and gas majors, um, maybe some of the, the green energy majors, the gems as they're known in the, in the Mediterranean company, countries. Um, those have become very familiar and have maybe access to maybe better finance and who maybe can waste or can afford to pay a little bit extra for higher priced solar panels or modules. I don't know, Adirne, if you've anything to link up or say. Yeah, I think a lot of the discussion in the solar industry in the last few years has been around, okay, when is when are we going to have more consolidation, more concentration? Mm-hmm. Because at the beginning we had 100 or more uh, cell suppliers, small workshops, etc. And the reality is that you can say that, for instance, at the module level last year, the top 20 already produced more than 90% of, uh, of the solar modules. So already the, con- the concentration and the consolidation on the manufacturing side is, is very strong. And if you go to more upstream nodes like polysilicon or wafers or cells, I mean, it's even, it's even uh, bigger. What is very interesting about the current cycle, and and Cormac briefly discussed this, is that we think in the current environment, high price environment, and uh, with the challenges around freight, this could be a very big opportunity for large companies to also become uh, more aggressive or enter into the market and into the development side, just because, you know, they might have um, a stronger financial, position and um, which allow them or a more diversified business that allow them to pay higher prices at a certain point or to delay or buy a pipeline from other developers that might be facing uh, difficulties. Um, So aggressive move from buyers, from larger buyers uh, as opposed to suppliers, is that what you're saying? There could be a, there could be an opportunity to 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 buy pipeline, uh, you know, for in certain markets. Yes. 
So we, we see that the current uh, the current environment could be also an opportunity for concent concentration on the on the buying side, which is something that is not really discussed much in the market. But we see this as a very clear sign of maturity of the solar industry as a as an industry. So as a maybe as a kind of an analog to to a, a much older industry in lumber, uh, there was news this week that you know lumber prices have been part of that commodity spike, and the, the logical solution for that is to build more sawmills. It, it apparently takes two years to to build a sawmill, and there's little appetite from today's sawmill owners to invest in that, knowing that the, the cyclicality that. Or assuming that once they finish that sawmill, the supply chain would have evened out, and they're going to have an underutilized uh, sawmill. Man, so, so basically, that you know, there were some of the quotes in the paper saying, you know, we're happy to take the cash flows. Are, are the solar companies in a position to take those cash flows right now? Sounds like demand is in some respects unaffected, and we're going to continue to grow in 21, 22, and and beyond. What, what's the startup time to, to kind of ease this out? And, and until then, what are we expecting? Well, I'll, I'll just add my view on maybe the bit about, you know, when we look at other industries, and, and this is happening at the moment in, in copper, mark, you know, mining, mm -hmm. they, they talk about the lead time to ring on copper uh, availability or other maybe rare earths. And I mean, it, it is clear that, and there has been, you know, polysilicon has been one bottleneck and they've made manufacturing announcements, but the, the, the challenge at the moment is that supply is trailing well, it's not, it still might be at times it's, it's very maxed out versus demand at the very least. And then demand keeps growing based on what we're, what we're seeing and what we're forecasting. And it takes some time and then it is concentrated in, in some markets like China. You know, we all, we often get asked now as well, like, will there be local manufacturing in other markets, um, to mm -hmm. help with proximity? But, you have to, as Adirne has mentioned, like the, the starting points, some of the raw materials are still not really going to move too much beyond outside of China, an example being polysilicon. But you can do some of maybe like the final assembly of modules elsewhere. And that could help a little bit. And it might, and it probably will happen in some markets that have a certain scale. But the, the thing that's going to help solar and why the supplier bases continue, so they're not, they are happy to build more capacity. At the moment, they're cautious, and a journey will probably add to this about this kind of cash taking versus will will they try and make some back some of their money that they've maybe found hard in the first six months, and directly pass on lower prices, or will there be a temporary moment where they'll they'll try and uh, save back up some money? I don't know, journey if you want to comment just in terms of the module supply chain. What what's oh, well, we are seeing uh, at this moment. Uh, so demand is very strong. Uh, this is what is happening on the raw materials and on the cap capacity constraint. Is our view is that it's a it's a short term phenomena. Uh, we mm -hmm. are seeing major investments, announcements, and investments in capacity along all along the supply chain. Wafer, polysilicon, cell, um, which are the highest capex uh, intense uh, parts of the of the module supply chain. So um, the industry is expecting this demand to, to continue in, in, in coming years. <laughs> we also have the market expect this uh, demand for solar will continue um, very strong. And so we see this as a short-term adjustment of, of the market um, for what 
for what the um, components and materials that are limited to the solar industry. By that, I mean polysilicon, cell, wicker. This is something that the solar industry can control and they are expanding accordingly in order to serve demand. The big question is more around those materials where the solar industry is secondary. So the impact of, uh, of copper or, or, or steel, you know, that's where the solar industry doesn't know because solar industry is very secondary for, for these markets. But, but for what uh, the key materials, key materials uh, for the solar industry are polysilicon, solar uh, grade glass, the industry is preparing, uh, is expanding accordingly, and uh, this should not be an issue in coming years. So looking, I guess, specifically at this year, you know, if, if, I, if I remember the numbers correctly, China, the, the three, well, I'll say two kind of big markets are, are mainland China and Europe plus North America. If looked at in two kind of Western and, and China, th those are about equal size. Can the weakness potentially in the Americas and Europe be offset by local growth in China for, for us to really maintain confidence around that uh, forecast for 21? I mean, we, uh, our expectation for China this year is of, I mean, China had a very strong year in 2020, uh, despite COVID, uh, had an amazing performance in the second half. Our expectation is that China is going to grow double digit uh, this year again. However, there is a certain limit. I mean, you have a right. certain limit to how much you can grow and you can store within one year. The 14th, the, the new plan uh, has set quite aggressive uh, renewable targets for uh, for China. However, we do not see, I mean, we don't think it's possible for, for China to catch up or to balance the decline in, in Europe. We don't anticipate that much a decline in the US uh, in, in our model. There is a certain limit and we don't think China can go beyond uh, a certain level, which is around 60, 60 gigawatt. Also, the indications in the first quarter were are not very strong, so uh, we see a certain limit to to install more than 60 gigawatt in three quarters. Okay, so our performance in China won't, you know, after a certain point, won't balance too much underperformance from the West. And if I might add to that, uh, Hill is again it links back to the industry trying to be not depend trying to be diversified in terms of demand mm -hmm. the the origin of the solar markets was every time one of the major markets initially it was in europe it was like germany italy spain and every time they would peak and drop the market would peak and drop and it would look for the next call it like solar rush and then china came in and was, it was able to counterbalance the market as it grew it, it was feeding its own manufacturing it was kind of a, a a necessity but what they're trying to do now is is go and sell their product abroad and solar the companies themselves the players in the market are realizing that they got maybe they had challenges before so they are trying to be not focused on any one market and that's the whole essence of why it's now seen as maybe more a safer investment by way of there are more markets, there are more mm -hmm. multi, I don't know, 10 gigawatt per year markets that you can invest in. It doesn't have to be uh, China, United States, um, Japan, or something like that. There, there are other markets coming on the, that are more uh, plausible or more better suited. So it's just the nature of, of where we are in, in the moment of, of solar's life cycle. So you know, maybe, maybe this is a good place to, to wrap it up uh, for, for to today. And Adernay, you mentioned a little while ago that none of us have a crystal ball. Um, but let's pretend for a second that we do, and, and it's 
May 19th of 2022. Uh, and so we're looking back on the year. How do you think we're going to view this supply chain tightness? What are the learnings from industry or are we still going to be in it? So in terms of cost, the situation is going to get better. In terms of freight, the situation will be significantly better than in 2021. This is our view at ISS market. So both cost and price should be uh, better. And then we are still anticipating a very strong 2022. We were already, but also because of the backlog of projects that will be delayed from 2021, we expect a record 2022. So we think next year will be another uh, crazy year <laughs> in terms of demand and probably with a bigger uh, weight from international markets than, than this year. Okay. And Cormac, uh, what would your crystal ball tell you if, if we're sitting here a year from today looking backward? So I think it's, it's going to take a little bit of time to iron out. I think that would be fair to say. But we, we kind of talked about 2020 being the resilient year of solar, how, how well it performed. And I think just the players in the market have shown this ability to ride out these these solar coasters um, and this is no different it is as we said some of it are externalities that are beyond their control but they are moving heaven and earth and they are doing everything and having spoken to a lot of people in the market they go you ask them are, are these projects going to stop or they and they go they can't stop uh, in some <laughs> ways so and because they go, there's national targets and there's there there's just this weight, this momentum. Yeah. And and the train has left the station. That's the good news. And so there may be a bit of turbulence, but the, all these problems are solvable. And that, that's yeah, we're very positive on our forecast for 22. And, and did I hear you drop the term solar coaster? In, in yes, there? it's uh, it is a cliche term in the in the solar industry. Yeah. Ah, it's new to me. I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, I mean, what is very interesting about this year is that uh, we forecast at the very beginning of the year that this might be the first time that where we will have a growth in the solar industry with our module, with a module decline. With, uh, and actually, we are convinced that's going to be the case, but not only on the module, on the module side. We think this would be a year for growth for solar, even with flat capex uh, in some in some mm -hmm. markets, which really makes gives you a sense of you know of how strong the solar industry is. That the cost levels that the industry has achieved uh, has made it competitive uh, with other, I mean, maybe that's a need to go that path lower because it's already competitive and, and financial models work um, with with these, uh, with these uh, cost levels. And I also think that this could be an opportunity, especially if manufacturers have the possibility to maintain margins. So maybe mm -hmm. both decline earlier and then prices decline a bit later to basically uh, invest in R&D and invest in the next uh, cycle for for technology and development. This is something that I think uh, could be a big winner from the current uh, cost environment. And maybe we have we see an acceleration of uh, of Topcon with P type or an acceleration of more uh, N type uh, or per even perovskites being accelerated just in order to continue or being able to continue lowering uh, capex. So um, I think it's going to be very exciting and as always to be working and analyzing for, for this industry. So that's my crystal ball. 
<laughs> All right. And we won't, we'll not get bored. Well, this has been great. Thank, thank you guys uh, for, for speaking with me. And I, I think you're right. This is exciting. And from kind of an industry perspective, it's really nice. If, if I'm sitting in a, in a solar industry position today, it's nice to be dealing with price increases and have demand perhaps delayed, but not being reduced on, on, on the back of that. That's a real vote of confidence uh, in the industry. So this will indeed be exciting to watch and, and maybe we'll be back here 12 months to, to see where we were right in those crystal balls. Well, thank you. And uh, we will uh, we'll pick this up again, uh, hopefully on a future episode. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. You can also find our experts on social media by searching for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at ihsmarket.com. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.